0: Some of us, perhaps, are old enough to remember what the $100 bill used to look like. I've got a picture of it, if y'all wouldn't mind putting that picture up. Here's what the $100... If you don't remember this, I don't want to hear about it, okay? But some of us remember this. Very very handsome, very symmetrical, right? Now, most of us, high rollers, you know what the $100 bill looks like now, and i got a picture of that, too. How much different And frankly, how silly the $100 bill looks today. It's got Ben Franklin's head really giant and off-center. All the fonts are different and misshapen and missized. We've got this holographic print going up and down. Why would we make such dramatic and unattractive changes to our currency? Well, most of us know the answer. It's to prevent counterfeiting, right? The old bill was just too easy to copy and pass off as genuine. And so all these unique measures have been implemented over time so that we can distinguish what's real from what's counterfeit. Now, interesting fact, the $1 bill hasn't changed in like 60 years because nobody's going to go to the trouble of counterfeiting ones. It's more trouble than it's worth. It probably costs more to do it than the one is worth in the first place. It's the bill with the highest value that comes with the highest risk. Now, as we walk through this great letter of 1 John, something, if you've been with us, you've seen it very clearly, both in John's words and in his tone. John places ultimate importance, ultimate value, on his topics in this letter. There's no point in 1 John where we just kind of dabble in interesting religious trivia. No, these are the most central and foundational truths in the world that John is out. for us here. He's showing us who God is and the saving grace of Jesus and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and the nature of sin and the importance of obedience and truth. All of this is central to John's message. Now, here's something that's also true. Not only in 1 John, but y'all, when you take this book in hand, when you open your Bible, we are dealing right here with the most precious and the most valuable thing there is. This is the very revelation of God. And more specifically, of the redeeming work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to save sinners. There's nothing more valuable that we can hold in our hands. And so John, as he speaks of these great, wonderful, monumental truths, he's also clear on something else, and that is the presence of counterfeits. We've seen throughout this letter, John has either implied it or, say it, or said it just directly directly, There are counterfeit teachers who proclaim a counterfeit gospel. There's a false kind of spirituality that only mimics the true faith, but in the end, it actually stands in opposition to God. Other teachings don't just run parallel as an alternate route to the same goal. John wants us to know that anything else, any other teaching about Jesus is actually opposed to God. And this has always been a threat to the church. It was in John's day. It is now. And so I want us to consider very carefully what John is teaching us here in chapter 4 because this is not only essential, but it really is, I think, very practical. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 1 with me And this command. Beloved, John says to the church, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, in that verse, there is some peculiar phrasing. John says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, what does John mean by that? The context tells us that John is talking mainly about teaching and doctrine. So maybe it helps us to frame the command by translating it like this. Do not believe every teaching, but test every teaching to see if it comes from God, because many false prophets or false teachers have gone out into the world. They're everywhere. Now, it seems simple enough when we phrase it like that, but I want us to sit with this for a moment. Y'all, the Apostle John knows the words teaching and doctrine. Those words are also in this letter. He knows those words, but he doesn't use those words here. Instead, John uses the word spirit. And that's very intentional. Down at the end of verse 6, John says, there is the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Meaning, truth and error are not simple facts. They're not just words on a page. Truth and error both belong to much deeper spiritual realities at work in the world, things we might not be able to see, and yet they are nonetheless real and powerful. What John is telling us right here is this. The truth belongs to and accords with the Spirit of God. And error or deception belongs to and accords with the devil. And so in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter gives us a very stark warning. He says, Be on the alert, church, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls about as a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. He is real and powerful and active in the world. And what we've seen already in 1 John is deception is perhaps his primary means of attack. He loves to lie and to convince people of error. And so when John says, test the spirits, because not all spirits are from God, he is trying to show us the source and the power behind various religious teachings. They're not just free-floating ideas. They belong to a deeper and unseen reality, and we must not take this lightly. Whatever we are taught, especially religious teaching comes from one source or the other. It comes from light or from darkness, from God or from the enemy. Well, that brings us, if we understand the seriousness of this command, well, then we have to ask the all-important question now. Okay, well, how are we supposed to test and discern which teaching comes from the Spirit of God? And that's verse 2. Look at verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God, John says. Every spirit That confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. So, how do we know if it is the spirit of God who is behind a teacher or a teaching? The one who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now that seems very elementary, doesn't it? And in some sense it is. The most central truth, the defining truth of Christianity, is the confession of Jesus Christ. We can talk about all other things that are true, but unless we have the very core truth, the person of Jesus, there at the center we don't have Christianity. But see, there's an issue that John is battling against here it's a little more subtle than that the false teachers in this time they didn't deny the existence of jesus nor did they deny that jesus was good they weren't obviously anti-jesus but one thing they did deny and they did it very subtly they did deny that jesus is god and therefore they denied that his birth was supernatural and they denied that his death was sacrificial. So what we have here, as subtle as they made their message appear to be similar, to be like the Christian message, what was happening here in 1 John is that these teachers were they were acknowledging some truth about Jesus, yes, but they were also denying the truth about Jesus. They were trying to keep enough to look spiritual, but they were denying the heart. See, John has told us right here that the Spirit of God will never diminish the Son of God. You can't have the Spirit apart from the Son, and the Spirit will never lessen the Son or knock Him down or treat Him as something less than what He is. The Holy Spirit will always honor the Son. The Spirit honors Jesus by confessing Him as Lord and God who has come in the flesh, who has died on the cross who has been raised from the dead. The Spirit will always affirm these essential things. And so, y'all, any teaching that lessens Jesus, that denies His divinity, questions or obscures His salvation, John has a word for that, and the word is anti-Christ. We studied this back in chapter 2. You can go find it on our website if you weren't here on that particular Sunday. But in chapter 2... John brings up the Antichrist, but it's really, he says, a spirit, not just a singular person who is to come, but a spirit that has gone out into the world, and he defines that as any person, anybody, or any teaching that stands opposed to the revealed truth of Jesus. So come back with me now to verse 1 in the command that we started with. John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's to see whether they are from God. Not everyone who claims to speak for God is from God. Not every teaching about Jesus truly confesses Jesus. And y'all, the challenge for us today is the same challenge that John faced with the church in his day. A lot of times, error comes pretty close to the truth. If somebody stands up and says, I deny that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, that's an easy one to test and discern. But a lot of times it doesn't happen that way. A lot of false teaching includes at least some truth in it. There's at least some truth baked into it that it would be convincing to us. And so y'all, testing the spirits, first and foremost for us, testing the spirits requires a sincere and searching knowledge of the Bible. Let that be our first point of application. To obey John's command here in testing the spirits, it requires a sincere, searching knowledge of the Bible. Most people who fall into false teaching do it because they don't have great knowledge about what the Bible really teaches. And so there are gaps, and those gaps are filled in with things that aren't necessarily true. And we're supposed to safeguard ourselves against it, to test against it. So here's the point of application, y'all. We should follow this morning the example of the Bereans. There is a little place in Acts chapter 17 where the Apostle Paul goes to a, a city called Berea, and he goes there to preach the gospel. This is something they've never heard before. They do not know who Jesus is or what He has done, and Paul's about to inform them. And there's just a very short record here in Acts 17 but Luke tells us that the Bereans were noble-minded people. And here's, here's why. Acts 17, 11. They, the Bereans, received the word, Paul's teaching, with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now, Paul came preaching... That Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah who has fulfilled the hopes of Israel and has brought salvation to the world. That was His message. And these people who received that message with eagerness, they didn't just take Paul's word for it. They went back and they dug deep into the Bible, what what for us would would be the Old Testament, to verify His teaching. They went back and checked the facts. And the very next verse tells us, therefore, many of them believed. And that is an awesome testimony. Y'all, the same thing should be spoken of us, the church. That we are Berean, that we are eager to hear the Gospel, but we are tethered to God's Word and truth. We'll always check to see if these things are so, y'all. The guy behind the microphone needs that to be true of our church. It's not true just because I say it. It's only true if God has communicated it through his revealed word. And so, y'all, we, I just say this. We are very blessed to be in the place and time in which we live, that we are literate, and that's a blessing we take for granted. Y'all, even us Mississippi State graduates can read pretty good. <laughs> We're literate, and we've got Bibles coming out of our ears. We've got so many Bibles. You can have your own Bible today. If you don't own one, we'll give you one. We have no excuse not to be noble-minded in the way that we study God's Word and are faithful students of the Bible. That's, that's application point number one. We have the truth, and therefore we should stand upon it. But John wants us to know this. There's actually something that we have in addition to the Bible that in many ways is, is um, more powerful. We have an indispensable helper in this pursuit Believers in Christ have not only God's revealed Word, but we have God's very Spirit. And this is such a great verse in verse 4. You ought to memorize this one. Oh, it's so good. Verse 4, you are from God, little children. You are from God. Be assured of that. And you have overcome them, the false teachers, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the John has repeatedly affirmed the church's identity in this letter. You are God's children. You truly belong to Him. We walk in the light. And here's one more piece of evidence that shows that identity to be true. He says, you have overcome the false teachers. You've given them no audience for their counterfeit message, and so they moved on. They left us, John says earlier in this letter. They moved on in hopes of finding people more gullible because you did not receive their message. And why not? It's not only that you believed the truth, it's because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in all who, who trust in Christ. And therefore, y'all, when we... and I, I, this, is, this is bigger than only the specific topic for today. If you, if you are a Christian... And if ever, ever, ever you feel weak or insecure, if ever you feel that you, uh, that you can't overcome temptation, if ever you feel unable to walk firmly in your faith, if ever you feel deficient in your knowledge of the truth, we ought to cling and hold fast to this great assurance right here. The Spirit of God in you is greater and wiser and mightier than the enemy. Even if the devil should present his greatest delusions and distractions and temptations, you have the very person and the power of God at work in you. Not near you. Not accessible to you. Not like a lifeline in case of emergency, but actually working within your heart and your mind. Y'all, this is what the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. That He leads us into all the truth. He comforts us and strengthens us and affirms our identity as belonging to God. The Spirit reveals, discloses more and more of Jesus to us. And so, this is something we can't take for granted any more than we take the Bible and our literacy and our ability to read it for granted. We should not take for granted that God has given us Himself. And that we have the ability, by God's grace, to overcome all of the devil's schemes. Y'all, there's there's something that's, there's an overlap here. It's okay to recognize. Every religion has a book. Every religion has a a path, a law, something that they read and stand on, And, and Christianity is no exception. We have a body of knowledge right here, a standard of truth, the Bible. But God has not given us only this. God in His grace has given us His Spirit. And so in Philippians, the the Apostle Paul says that God is at work in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. God will take the revealed truth that is in the Bible and will make it more and more tangible and practical and real to your life because His Spirit is present in you. And so if you have God's Word and God's Spirit, John is saying to us, we have all confidence to stand firm in the Lord anchored in the truth, never being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. No. We stand strong. We have all the resources we need. Now, here at the end of this section, John gets even more practical. We've seen the seriousness of the spiritual reality at stake. We've seen the call to testing and how we know the difference. Now, John tells us, in in some kind of, real boots on the ground kind of way, how do we discern what's true and false? What do we look for? Well, here are a few tests here, verses 5 and 6. They, the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now John is speaking more in principle here, but there's a great contrast that he presents to us. The false teachers, he says, are from the world. They do not know God. No matter how spiritual they appear to be, no matter how convincing their message might sound, John says they actually stand in opposition to God. They're not running an alternate route side by side. Pick one or the other, we all end up in the same place. No, John says no matter how spiritual their message may sound, they speak worldly things, and that's why the world listens to them. However, we are from God. Now, when John uses that word we, I think he's referring to himself and the apostles here. The designated spokespersons of Jesus, the ones sent out to proclaim the message and to record the New Testament. In that case, it makes sense. I wouldn't say, from from where I stand here, I'm from God, and if you're from God, you'll listen to me. That would be the height of arrogance, and frankly, that would be a tip-off, that maybe you need to find a new church, a red flag. That's what a false teacher would say. Well, what makes it different for John? John was a living, breathing apostle of Jesus Christ. And so when he speaks of himself and the apostles, he makes it clear. Those who belong to God, listen to us. They receive our message. Of course they do. Because they are those designated and sent out by Christ himself, raised from the dead, sending them now to go and make disciples. And those who are not of God, of course, don't listen to us. See, so y'all, there's this wonderful little cycle at work here. It's a good thing. That on one hand, we look at this, okay, it's our belief in the truth that brings us to saving faith in in Jesus. We come to God by believing the truth. And because we now belong to God, we are established in the truth. And so those two things work in concert together. We come to God because of the truth, and because we belong to God, we remain in the truth. Isn't that great? But there's also a false cycle, a destructive cycle at work. Those who are of the world, John says, speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So for the sake of time, and I hope practicality, I want us to consider one kind of broad category here that might serve as a filter for us. What does John mean when he says, uh, they speak from the world and the world listens to them? That maybe sounds a little obscure. Well, this is a filter for us. That when we hear a worldly message, no matter what the religious trappings might be, no matter how dressed up it might sound, When we hear a worldly message, the Spirit of God within us is meant to show us the difference. And so here's one way we can test the spirits. This is is one example as a broader category. Whenever you hear a teaching, whether it's from this pulpit, or on YouTube, or late night television, God help us, it's probably a good thing to avoid that. Whenever we hear a teaching, big filter, is this man-centered, or is this Christ-centered? And I'm going to give us three quick examples here to maybe show us some differences. Man-centered versus Christ-centered. Example number one, legalism. Y'all, legalism seems very spiritual because all this emphasis is put on our behavior, our good works, our seriousness and diligence to do what God says. But here's how we know legalism. It's whenever our behavior is elevated over the grace of God. Because that is a denial of the Gospel. Any teaching that says God accepts you on the basis of what you do, that is a man-centered teaching. It's centered on me and my works. You must be your own Savior. Or perhaps God saves you, yes, but now it's up to you to maintain it. You've got to be good enough. That's a denial of Christ. The Gospel truth says that Jesus saves us entirely. Once and for all and forever, Jesus saves us by His grace through the forgiveness of our sins. We contribute nothing to that equation. We cannot save ourselves or contribute to our salvation. Legalism is man-centered false teaching. Galatians is a great resource for this. The second example is prosperity. God loves you and He wants you to be rich. If you sow seeds of financial giving, God will bring a harvest of great financial blessing. This is an immensely popular teaching. But again, it's, I hope it's obvious to us that it's man-centered. Y'all, what prosperity teaches us is this. I come to God, really, in order to get from God something I want more than God. And if I love him and do what he says, he'll give me what I really want, which is wealth. That denies the gospel and the clear teaching of Scripture. 1 Timothy 6. The Apostle Paul says that desire leads men into ruin and destruction. Other than that, it's fine. Okay? (laughs) Prosperity will ruin us in the pursuit of gain. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul, Jesus said. There is no such gospel. The last example is what I would call license. License says, God loves you and therefore it's okay to do whatever makes you happy. God loves you and He just wants you to be happy. And y'all, always with this form of teaching, the things that the Bible calls sin aren't really that bad. Or those were just sinful back then. Or this doesn't apply to your circumstance. So don't deny yourself the pursuit of the thing you really want. Y'all, in that case, again, man-centered, my desires trump God's Word. God's Word must submit to what I really want to do rather than it being the other way around. And there is no such version of Christianity. Now, I mentioned those three uh, false teachings, legalism, prosperity, license, not only because they're so popular and prevalent, they're not hard to find, but y'all, can I just be honest that I have fallen into these traps at different times in my own life? Maybe you have too. I've fallen for some of this stuff, at least a little bit, because they're so appealing to our flesh and our desires and our human heart. They're so appealing to our, our sense of worldliness that somehow still holds sway in our lives if we allow it to. Y'all, here's the truth. John, when he calls us out of false teaching, he doesn't say, Oh, you guys are too smart to fall for that stuff. No, we're not. Y'all, I, it, it pains me to say this because of my ego, but I'm not smarter than the devil. None of us are. He's smarter than us, he has more power than we do. The point of this scripture is what? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's our only chance. That God by His Spirit would breathe out His Word and that God by His Spirit would inform and strengthen us and show us what is true. It really is the Spirit of God who leads us into the truth and keeps us established there so that no counterfeits can gain a foothold. That's the only hope we have. And it's a certain hope. We're not left to ourselves. We have everything we need. So y'all, as we close here on this, there's a practical side here. I hope it's very clear and right in front of us that John says for us to be on the alert, to be sober-minded, to test the spirits. Any teaching or teacher who claims to be spiritual, but in fact is not from God and does not accord with the truth, you hold fast to Jesus and His truth through His Word and the inner working power of the Holy Spirit. But y'all, I want to close also with an appeal to the heart. There's certainly a a, a mindset that's required here, but there's also a heart for us. Quick story now. Y'all, not long after I left Mississippi State, they built a big, nice new bookstore, a Barnes & Noble, right near the football stadium. Still nice. Um, But man, it was super-duper nice when they first built that thing. And you would go up the escalator, the only escalator in Octibaha County, mind you. You'd go up the escalator... And there, there's a big wall right in front of the top of the escalator with a mural of pictures, some of them sports-related, some of them pictures of campus and student life, all Mississippi State stuff, really cool. Well, y'all, when they first made that building and put up that mural, there was a picture of graduation, and there I was, like life-size, big picture of my profile from the side with my graduation cap on. I thought it was amazing. I'm with my dad, and we go up there, and there I am. And my dad was so proud of me. Very, very cool. Jennifer wasn't there. I called her. I said, baby, I'm on the wall in, in the bookstore. Well, a couple weeks later, we made it to Starkville. Jennifer and I did. And, uh, and I took her up the escalator to show her the picture. And y'all, the first, you know the first thing that she said? It was so sweet. She said, Kyle, that isn't you. <laughs> and I said, no, no, look, it's, yeah, it's right there, real big. She said, I know my husband. I look at your face every day. That's not you. That's somebody else. And y'all, she was right. (laughs) It wasn't me. Some dude looked about 75% like me, I guess, but it wasn't me. And here's, here's a wonderful point of application, really. My wife knows me, and she loves me, and she treasures me. Uh, she really does. I don't get it, but she does. Um, You can't put a 75% facsimile of Kyle in front of her and she just goes on her merry way. There are no substitutes. She knows her husband, and she's my wife, and I know and love and treasure her too. You can't put somebody like Jennifer in front of me and it's a fair, fair substitute, let's just go along with it. No, when we know and love and treasure someone, then they are that person is the apple of our eye. When it comes to Jesus Christ, if you know Him, if you trust Him as the Savior of your soul, if He is your hope, if He is your joy, if you cherish and treasure Jesus, then your heart will desire no counterfeits. It's not just a matter of having all the right information. As important as that is, we treasure our Savior. And no one can take his place. I don't want less than Jesus. I don't want more than Jesus. We should be, of all people, perfectly content and overwhelmed with joy to have the real thing, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so let that be our mind, our heart, as we pray this morning. Father, I do ask for us, for your church, That you would give us a very sober and sincere frame of mind. That we would test the spirits. Because not every spirit is from God. Father, I pray that, uh, that we would believe and take to heart that we do have a real enemy prowling about Seeking to devour, seeking to deceive. And that the devil would be, I think, perfectly happy with us getting the gospel 75% correct, but taking some things away or adding some things on and missing Jesus. And so, Father God, please help us to take this with great seriousness. That there is a revealed truth and you've allowed us to hold it in our hands. And there is a wonderful, powerful, gracious spirit within us by faith who will lead us into all that is true. That will show us the real Jesus and, and allow us, Lord, to really know you. To know you. To cherish and treasure you. To accept no substitute. Lord, let us be. We are not, um, this is not a, um, a point of personal pride that we know the truth. I pray, Lord, that we would very humbly, gratefully say thank you. That we have the truth and that we have received Christ. There's no pride for us. We're not smarter. We're not better. Please help us to see it that we humbly with open hands receive what you give, Lord, grace and truth, salvation and hope. Father, the the, the inner working of your spirit so that we stand on Jesus alone. And Lord, we find him always and forever to be so much more than sufficient for, for life and for godliness. Thank you. Father, let us be great students of your word and let us be um, recipients who are very uh, keen and receptive to the working of your spirit in us. We ask it all in Christ's awesome name. Amen.